0: Hello, I'm Mike White, the CEO of Lively Worldwide. Welcome to Fresh Takes Video Podcast, where we take a fresh look at the ever-changing landscape of marketing. We want to find out how creativity and technology are innovating the world of brands and businesses to deliver genuine audience connections. Everyone is talking about the developments in technology and the constantly changing landscape for marketers and businesses. Are we really keeping ourselves up to date with how the law is also evolving or shall we say trying to keep up? The news is full of the latest court hearings in the crypto and NFT spaces and let's not forget the incredible speed at which AI is hitting the news. So how do we navigate these constantly evolving advances in technology while wanting to stay creative and be at the center of culture? Well, this is why we're here. Lively is a creative innovation agency taking an agnostic view across all this noise and finding the true pioneers in our industry, innovating in the world of marketing and entertainment, so we can discuss what we have learned and how best to navigate the future. Today, we are talking to Jeremy Goldman, who is a partner at Frankfurt, Kernit, Klein and Sells Law Firm. Jeremy co-chairs the firm's blockchain technology group, and the firm he works for specializes in entertainment and arts. Delighted to have you on board Fresh takes Jeremy. Hi, Jeremy. How are you? Hello,
1: Michael. Good to see you. How are you? I'm fine, nice. thanks. I'm good, thanks. Yeah, I hear you were, uh, you're were you in New York right there. I am. I, I hail from New York, or that's where I spend most of my adult life. But uh, yeah. seven years ago, moved to Los Angeles, but back in New York for a visit. And oh. uh, yeah, it's good to be here. Good for you. Good for you. Well, look,
0: why don't we start uh, with, um, it'd be great to have just a little brief introduction about yourself
1: and uh, the work you do and what took you to Los Angeles. Great. So I think the the high level, uh, I'm an intellectual property lawyer and my expertise and my passion is and always has been at the intersection of intellectual property and technology and new technology in particular. And uh, the firm I work at, as I think you mentioned, uh, is an entertainment and media and technology powerhouse. So we have sort of a big entertainment group where we're representing writers and directors and producers working in in Hollywood and, you know, wherever uh, entertainment may be. We have a very big advertising practice uh, where we're representing a lot of ad agencies and the biggest brands um, and, you know, all of the groups to support that. Um, I started the blockchain technology group two years ago after Web3 started becoming a big thing. And when blockchain became used for something other than just money and people started using it for intellectual property and for content and for media and works of authorship, that's where I really became passionate about it. And just the other layer of me, other than just, you know, the human layer, um, is that I've been a computer guy my entire life. I was born... Uh, in, you know, I'll just date myself. I'm born 1978 and by 1979, I had a TRS-80 computer basically in my crib that was put there by my dad and I took to computers right away. Uh, and so I, I grew up really as a very early digital native. I found bulletin board systems and sort of, you know, places I could go with a modem before sort of any of my friends were doing that kind of stuff. I found the internet before any of my friends had heard of it. And uh, I was working for sort of internet and tech startups right out of college and even through college. And that was where I first discovered the intersection with, with law and found it really fascinating. Uh, and that's where I've continued, you know, be- ended up becoming a lawyer and since then have done a lot of my work around technology using sort of my my love for technology and now my love for intellectual property to help bridge those two worlds.
0: Wow. Well... Very different parts, but quite similar in the fact that um, that's exactly where I kind of landed with my business partner is, you know, I'm a marketeer at heart, but um, from a very early age, I, I just developed this real passion for tech. Uh, and now I have a p- business partner whose priority and focus is kind of innovation in technology, which actually kind of led to you and I kind of meeting and uh, and becoming friends. So, um We've obviously had a chat, and uh, we we've been yeah uh, we found some common things. What would you say are the three kind of areas that you're currently focusing on? Then,
1: given is it purely Web three, or is it expanding out of that? So it it's, it's definitely exp- I mean, it's expanding out of that, and it's always been broader than just Web three in terms of my practice. Uh, you know, like I said, the really my focus as an attorney, and where I sort of try to provide some level of thought leadership, and where a lot of it's really where my clients are, and that's tech and and law where they meet. And so, but in terms of looking at what the emerging trends are, and the sort of the, there's three areas that I'm really focused on right now, and those are uh, continue to be Web three and blockchain technology, and and there, you know, I'd say you know it's it's not dead, um, but very badly burned. Um, you know, uh, we're, but not dead, I'm not dead yet. We'll talk about that. Yeah. Yes. And not at all. Uh, and, and still have a lot of clients and seeing a lot of really promising stuff going on. And so, you know, and it's and promising stuff. And there's a big need for lawyers because there's a lot of uncertainty and, um, in the space and a lot of litigation and claims, uh, about, and that's something that I am able to deal with. And so, the, so that's number one is sort of web three and blockchain. Number two is artificial intelligence. Um, you know, that went from being a an academic subject for lawyers where we, we would have, you know, professors and people experimenting, talking about what they're doing to the last few months where it's just, you know, rocketed onto the scene. And there's been a real need for uh, thought and work uh, for lawyers and involving intellectual property and other issues that are surrounding A.I. And so I'm very focused on that. And then the other thing that is very important is is social media. Um, and you know you could broaden that out to other areas of the internet, but there's been a lot of changes in social media, both in terms of the business, and there's been a lot of uh, legal uh, developments around social media that we're very carefully uh, tracking and advising our clients on.
0: Brilliant. Well, that suits this uh, this platform and what we talk about perfectly. Well let's get stuck in Let, let's let's look back to web 3 you know you said it it's uh, it's slightly burnt <laughs> or or scorched so what is the impact of recent events on the potential use of web 3 technology and what kind of the, the main kind of sticking points that you find yourself having to get
1: involved in cuz it's all over the news it? isn't it so you know the, my view of this is that we it was a uh, nascent technology right that was probably Meant to be, and by by the way, you could probably say a lot of the same things about AI. Uh, but it was a technology that was really in its alpha or beta stage of development. If you were doing software, uh, in terms of usability, in terms of uh, uh, friction, in terms of uh, security, all of these things were very half baked. Um, nevertheless, because of the, I think the money elements were because things were tradable and there was a money element to it. A lot of money rushed onto the scene and people went live with commercial products very quickly. Um, And because of that and and what I what I was saying about those sort of technology, uh, uh, the, the technology being very early, that. Would have been a good challenge for engineers to solve and for people to solve over time, right? Like they needed to work all these problems out, putting aside the regulatory issues, putting aside the scams and the frauds and the Ponzi's, we did, putting all that aside, it was challenging enough to have this technology in a place where it would be uh, amenable for the masses. And so you saw a lot of people working on that and then rushing to market right away before it was all ready for prime time. And, and then you saw people coming in and taking advantage of the undeveloped technology and the fact that there was a financial element to it and the fact that there was these were very liquid assets that could be traded, and people created markets for it, and kind of very quickly lost track, in my opinion, of uh, some of the reasons that we had the technology in the first place. So we, what what happened? I don't, you know, I I think a lot of folks watching read the news, right? There was a number of uh, regulatory incidents of of you know U.S. regulators going after folks that were doing fungible tokens and digital token offerings and calling them securities. There were uh, you know scams by by people in the NFT world that were doing things like rug pulls of selling, you know, saying that they're going to take the money and build a, a project around artwork or around content, and then just taking the money and running. And then the biggest thing that happened, of course, were these primarily centralized uh, uh, crypto platforms that were taking custody of people's digital assets, their cryptocurrencies, and then running off with them. And uh, and something that was sad and ironic because the very promise of cryptocurrency was that you didn't have to have these banking intermediaries. You were able to have your own wallet and your own keys to the money and not have a bank account. Yet people trusted these intermediaries with their money. They ran off with it. And as a result of that mix of bad elements, you know, a lot of people are naysaying the technology altogether. Um, The people that were building from the beginning and that believed in it continue to believe in it. And, are tri- and what I see now is people that were in that alpha and beta stage of software development are continuing to do what they were doing, which mm. is to build a product that's ready to ship to market and sort of more quietly developing products and services that will be good for the masses. And what I see happening, I see big brands. I, see, um, I still see agencies. I see uh, large IP holders that were sl- much slower and steadier and not rushing to market, continuing to see Web3 as a potential and important and lucrative area of investment for the future.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you said that, because we are one of those agencies. And it, it's frustrating, isn't it? Because for, for years, you know, I, I've been I've been collecting digital collectibles. I've been in the NFT space. I've been, you know, uh, I've still got quite a lot of crypto. Um, But the annoying thing from a personal point of view is the cynics are kind of like, Oh, well, you know, you should just get rid of it all. Oh, didn't you waste your time? And I'm like, well, no, I don't. I still believe in the technology and just like anything I'm doing, I'm in it for the right reasons, not the wrong reasons. And, and so I suppose that, and that is it's interesting isn't it you know we're not saying nfts anymore we're saying digital collectibles and you know we're going through this this kind of evolution but what as a as a lawyer kind of what is your advice to the people like us that still want to carry on because yeah you know, we're advising brands that if it's if it's the right fit and the right audience they should still be in this space they should still be you know, innovating and and doing it. And, you know, we're actually working on a project right now where, you know, we're about to launch a, a digital collectible because we believe that the, what the audiences of today do what physical and digital, you know, like I think I showed you this, didn't I? You know, I, I've got my, you know, four, you know, that's the only board a bike can afford. Um, but, um, but I do, I like physical art and I like digital art. So, yeah, what's your... Any advice to us believers? Still,
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that it's, um, I you know, I still very much believe in the promise of the, of of the technology, and I think the, um, the, the the lesson to be learned from this is that you know there were a lot of folks that jumped into the space and launched projects because they wanted to be part of the hype machine that was happening, and you know, and and everyone you know there was some success stories, but there was a lot a big bubble that that emerged out of that and then a, a crash due to the fact the factors that I discussed before. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that if folks are going to launch projects in this space and want to get into it, they have to do it for the right reasons. And and people that knew what they were doing would frequently ask brands or agencies or folks getting into it, they would say, and in, in like the Web3 lexicon, they'd say things like, why token? Right? Why token? Yeah. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And, and that's really the question is like, people were... I I saw it all in the last two years. People would tell me about their project and then they would tell me about, you know, a cryptocurrency that they would have, their own coin, that they would develop as part of the project. I'd say, why do you need your own coin? Most, you know, in in the non-blockchain world, do you need your own currency or do you just, you're okay with dollars or you're okay with pounds, you're okay with euros, right? Why do you need to create your own coin around this thing? And if the answer was any, was unless there was really, really, really seldom a compelling answer you know Ooh, more frequently the answer would be i think the answer would just be because it's a way that we can hopefully make some quick cash and i think those days hopefully are over uh, to me you have to go back to foundational principles of what this technology is there for and one of the great use cases of non-fungible tokens i don't think it's a dirty word is what you're talking about which is digital collectibles mm-hmm. and they don't have to be you know you showed me the board ape and i love the board ape club i i do work for yuga and they're they're wonderful but You know, there's a lot of utility and scarcity around board Apes, but a digital collectible doesn't have to be something that's very expensive. It could be something you get for free. It could be something that costs a couple dollars. And it's just a way, and I can look, I can get into some of the IP issues that I think will be interesting, but it does bring something new because uh, around digital collectibles. Because until blockchain and NFTs came about, there really was no good way to have a digital collectible no exactly it just didn't exist, and so no. we should not be throwing away that 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 revelatory thing that that is a revolution that is important, mm. and mm. we should not be throwing that away because of the potential for scams and frauds and other things yeah
0: well and and the same thing applies uh for instance, digital collectibles, but also um rather than kind of Tokens or or some form of currency, it's it's that yeah. You know, we're even looking into the kind of the, the the new way of building up memberships. Is you know that I think and I think that's kind of where I always saw board eight is I'm I'm becoming part of a community. Now, whether that needs a currency associated to it, I don't know because we don't know where these digital worlds are going to take us. But you know, I looked at, I saw a fantastic project the last week by Under Armour, where they they were the the agency was the first people to create a digital collectible trainer that was actually transferable into different worlds. So you could buy the same pair of trainers and wear it in Minecraft, wear it in Fortnite, wear it, and and I thought that was amazing. And you saw a community latch onto it, just like the trainer community, because they, they were having this digital identity that they could wear and show and be proud of. Um, and I think that's the interesting bit here, is is rather than, like you said, invest in a business, be be part of a community and build it around that. And then you can start seeing some really exciting things. And this transformation across... Digital worlds and physical worlds gets really exciting, um and so so what's you know all we can see right now it's like you know there's that saying you know I can't see the wood for the trees because there are so many lawsuits going on you know how does the abuse of technology and Web three you know how do you guys keep up how you know uh, you know I I need it sounds like if I'm going to go into this world I certainly need a a lawyer by my side
1: to to make sure I'm getting it. Well, you, yeah, how do you feel about that? Well, I mean, I, I, of course, yeah, I think everyone needs a lawyer by their side at all times, yeah, <laughs> yeah. obviously. But, uh, you know, I, I look, that's part of our our job here is to keep do our best to keep abreast of the developments that are that are happening and to keep track of the the lawsuits and what they mean, uh, and the regulations and what they mean and what the regulator- regulators are up to. That's that's our job. and and you know, how do we do it? we We do it the same way that you you do it, Mike, right? Right? You're in in your industry, which is you you have the people that you follow on Twitter, you have your newsletters, you have your podcasts. um, and we have the same. and it's it's like you get in your little bubble and and like I assume that everyone has heard of the lawsuits that I follow and are super hot right now, but that's just not the case. People have no idea. In fact, people, a lot of people still don't even know what an nft is. People don't know necessarily what a blockchain is, right? this These are things that I, you know, live in an echo chamber. So I think it's everywhere, but right there, it's not necessarily. Uh, And, and, and look, I mean, a lot of, a lot of uh, advice that I give to clients, people come along is just do the best we can, given what the information that we have, because Mm -hmm. it's still a very uncertain regulatory environment. Um, And, uh, you know, on the intellectual property side, I think, it is a job, as always, of applying existing laws to just new applications. There's not, I don't expect there to be a whole lot of different laws written that are going to govern blockchain and cryptocurrency and digital assets. I think it's mainly going to be the job of taking existing laws and frameworks and seeing how they apply here. And that's mainly what we do.
0: Well, that's good to hear. That's good to know. Well, like you said, we, you and I are in a the, what is ironically still a very small bubble uh, within the world of, of kind of maybe crypto and nfts and web3 but you, you let's segue now into kind of social media you know social media is a world we're very used to uh we've um been submerged uh in it for a very long time but how how's the kind of the evolution of web3 gonna start impacting this
1: world of social media uh yeah it's a great question uh i think there's I think that there's kind of two ways to look at it from the Web3 angle and from the social media angle. Sure. I'll, I'll start from the social media angle. And, and there I would start with some of the, you know, it's an evolution or it's a, a pushback or it's a contraction of, of you know, centralized social media platforms, right? So Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, et cetera. These are places where, um, you know, it's a company that owns the servers and they own the data that's collected, which is their most valuable asset uh, and they own the eyeballs that they can then advertise to and then collect the revenue and sometimes share to some degree with people. But the, you know, information and the content that people put out there uh, is is ultimately controlled by those by those platforms. And they also control the algorithms that dictate how content is going to be displayed to you. And as a result of that, over the last you know few years, there's been a lot of criticism thrown at, you know, the Facebooks of the world. Uh, and there's been, Uh, even more criticism because of some of the ownership changes at Twitter, for example. Um, This raises questions about whether it's the right, um, whether it's the best thing we can do as society for what's become a public and a common good, right? It used to be the case that you'd have to go to newspapers uh, to publish content. Now you have social media. Anyone can publish and say anything at any time. And so I think there's more of a push, and that's where Web3 kind of comes in, of this idea that, People should own and have their own podium, and we don't need to have an intermediary. We can disintermediate this and have each person participate um, in social media where the the there is no platform, but rather we could use protocols um, that are deployed to blockchain. So we can deploy software onto blockchain that becomes a public good and a common good. And then you could have companies that build sort of gateways into that content. So what do I mean by that? There's companies like uh, Lens Protocol is one of them. Farcaster is another one where they're using blockchain technology to take every social media post and piece of content that goes up and it becomes a token and you own that token initially at least and the content gets uploaded uh, you know, kind of separately from the token but it becomes that all of the content becomes tokenized and the mechanics, the software layer, uh is all done through smart contracts that are programmed onto blockchain and anyone can you you know use those smart contracts to build their own applications and their own sort of you know uh, structures around it um which means that nobody has the right to silence anyone right you could have different platforms that all draw upon the same content pool and the the data and the content is owned by people but then all sort of becomes part of the of the the common Good that people can use, which is very much the Web three ethos at its yeah, at, it, at its core. It, it. The Web three ethos is trying to give, you know, you know, one, and I, I one of the uh, formulations that I really like is that Web one was sort of a read only environment where you have like a yeah. static web page. Web two was a read write environment, and Web three is the mm-hmm. read write own. And so I think there's an effort to make social media uh, more like a read write own. Uh, model. Uh, so that's a crossover with Web3. Uh, mm-hmm. The other part that I would mention is, oh, sorry, go ahead, Mike.
0: Well, no, sorry. So, uh, I'm just going to kind of, because we talked about it. You said there's two very kind of interesting, very specific parts of the law that we should start paying attention to, particularly uh, in the US. Um, could you elaborate a bit on that, please?
1: Yeah. So I think there's, there's well, there's two, just just to put on my lawyer professor had for a moment when you when you talk about internet law and you know i i I fancy myself something of an internet lawyer there's the two laws that sort of have had probably the biggest impact on the internet and commerce and content as we know it are the digital millennium copyright act or the dmca and the cda the communications decency act and, and the CDA is actually called Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. Those two laws came out in 1996 and 1998, and so they've been on the books for quite some time now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at a very high level, they are laws that provide very broad immunity or safe harbors to Internet platforms based on the content of their users. the The DMCA, the copyright one, that provides a defense to copyright infringement for platforms that host user generated content. So imagine YouTube right, or any of these places that have billions of videos uploaded at all times. Inevitably, some of those videos, many of those videos are going to be done without the permission of the copyright owner and therefore infringing. And so Congress made a decision to provide a safe harbor for these platforms to say, we're not going to be responsible for that copyright infringement as long as we follow these procedures in terms of taking it down if we get a notice that it's infringing. We're not going to be obligated as a platform to police our content at all times and know exactly what every piece of content is and taking things down affirmatively. Rather, we get to react to content holders. That's a very important framework for how things have worked. That and and both of these laws. and I'm going to talk about the next one, the other one next both of them are under fire. The one that's really even more under fire is section 230 of the CDA. That one is not about copyright and, and, and the content per se, it's more about trying to hold an internet provider or a user of an internet provider, what's called an interactive computer service or an, or an ISP. That says that we, uh, an ISP or an internet service provider is not liable for any information or content that came from some other information source. So what that means is that if an internet provider republishes or retweets or hosts you know, t- content that's defamatory, that's false, that could lead to harm in lots of different ways, the internet provider is not held liable for that. So that's be- been very important because in the traditional media world, a newspaper is liable for republishing amatory content.
0: Yeah. And you you kind of rely on that
1: editorial process to deliver you kind of factual information, don't you? Exactly. And so that's a lot of the buzz around the fake, you know, when fake news was the big news, there was a lot of criticism thrown at Section 230 because (laughs) of the immunities that it provided for the platforms that were allegedly, you know, Per, uh, per, you know, uh, putting propagating uh, these fake news into the world. Uh, hmm. Now, there's there's a couple, th- so that's sort of one area. Two thirty, section two thirty is under attack now, and it ca- it comes in a very strange uh, lawsuit that's going all the way to the Supreme Court of the United States, and the Supreme Court's going to rule on this. They uh, that lawsuit um, deals with a social media platform's algorithm, and it's. It's brought by families of uh, families of victims of terrorist attacks, who are claiming that the terrorists were aided and abetted by the videos and content and algorithms that were posted on the social media platform, and the and the platform was able to defend themselves and get out of that lawsuit by relying on this Section Two Thirty statute that says we're not liable for the content of other people. And the question is, can they use Section 230 to shield themselves from the algorithms that they themselves employ and then end up pushing harmful content to the top because it's very clickbaity? And so that went all the way up to the Supreme Court, and it's the first time that the Supreme Court is interpreting that statute, and the internet industry writ large is very concerned and alarmed and that the Supreme Court is going to interpret that statute much more narrowly than the lower courts have before. And I think yeah. there's a real risk of this. And so that is is a potentially going to be a very, very big development in terms of social media and what people sort of people, and, not, and it's not just the social media platforms, it's people posting or retweeting content on social media platforms. Mm. Um, and if Section 230 gets gutted, the supreme court then the internet as we know it in the u.s could have a a real sea change
0: wow wow looks like i'm gonna have to get you back where we hear about that
1: (laughs) yeah no that'll be one one to talk about
0: yeah so got so okay we've talked about you know uh last year's buzz of of web3 um obviously uh and then we kind of moved into the world we currently live in which is social media and of course you know, things are happening so rapidly now. We've now got AI to deal with. Um, that's going to be really interesting for all of us and particularly for, you know, the law, because what are your concerns around kind of AI products and their boundaries in terms of clients and artists? It's just that it's another cat of, worms, a cat of worms, another bag of worms, sorry, that's going to going to open up, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I the artificial intelligence has become a, a tremendously important uh, topic for intellectual property lawyers, but it's also of great, great interest to people that are doing branding and marketing and advertising. Uh, and so I think, you know, as a as a real practical matter, just starting there, what we see at our firm is a lot of ad agencies and and producers racing to use AI to significantly and drastically reduce expense in terms of copywriting, in terms of uh, creating using stock imagery, uh, and it, in terms of uh, creating audiovisual content uh, and and music content that that they don't have to get third party licenses for. And so we have clients that are asking about the boundaries of that. Can we do that? Uh, are we okay? Are we? Is, who could who could sue us for that? Mm-hmm. Right? They're, they know the pro- they know the risks involved with licensing music and licensing third party content and they, they understand there's a cost and there's a, a risk there of not, of not going through the right steps, it's a much less certain about what the risks are when you're using AI tools to generate this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so th- th- there's, there's that concern. Um, and then from a, a more higher level academic perspective, the way that I, as a lawyer, look at artificial intelligence from an, from an IP perspective, is really helpful to think about it by dividing it by the input and the output, right? And so the input, we'll start with the input. And there the question is, these generative AI tools, where do they get their data from? Where do they get their content that they're ingesting? And they're getting it from the wealth of human output that creators have put into the world since the beginning of time until now. And there's A lot of outrage and questions being raised about the legality of ingesting all of that content, potentially to be used later for commercial purposes, either by the generative AI tool developers that are, you know, or behind those tools or the folks that are using those tools for their own purposes is kind of how I started, right? Folks like, you know, if you're making uh, commercial products or uh, advertising around, you know, around Using the AI, you're benefiting from all of this creative work and you're not paying anyone for it. And the AI rules aren't paying anyone for it. Um, so that's really the, the the input question. And you know, there, there's already been a, a slate of lawsuits filed um, by, there's three different putative or actually two putative class action lawsuits that have been filed. And I say putative, that just means they're not class actions yet. Um, they're, but they're trying to be a class action lawsuit by uh, illustrators and by computer programmers uh, that are claiming that these AI tools sucked up their copyright protected content and and used it without permission and have and and they should have to get a license for it and pay for it. Uh, the the third one is by Getty Images, the very famous stock image company. Uh, you know, in England, they filed a lawsuit against uh, Stability AI which is one of the big uh, generative AI companies. Mm-hmm. So uh, those questions are very interesting to me and uh, will raise issues under copyright law. They'll raise issues under contract law because there's frequently terms of service that protect these content. Um, and so that's sort of on the input side. But I'll, I'll let you surely, yeah. surely the um
0: Surely the developers, though, that are creating these AI systems have... Uh, are bound to program in that you know there's got to be a certain amount of where they access you know it's surely that's that's the situation or is that just that you know a silly uh, presumption on my side
1: what did they have did they have permission to use the data that they're using
0: yeah it's like look yeah because and again maybe you know but my business partner's a tech guy uh i'm the marketeer but in my mind you know there is a there's a at the end of the day there is a coder developing these these ai systems and surely you know part of that coding needs to direct them on where they should find that information or is it just opened up to the internet and they can do
1: these ai systems can do what the hell they like i think it's i think these lawsuits will explore exactly that question so i I, i can only speculate i i think my 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 not just my hunch but my understanding is that some of these AI tools like GPT three, which is the basis for Chat yep. GPT, um, yep. stability, mid-journey, they're deploying mm. the same types of web scraping tools that search engines deploy um when they do when they cache the internet, right? So they're putting spiders out into whatever is publicly available mm. and they're just taking everything. They're not, they're ignoring, you know, I think the allegation is that they're kind of ignoring. Any sort of now I don't know if they're going behind paywalls, but anything that's publicly available, the AI tools are treating as fair game.
0: And God, it's, it's almost like we're going to head. It, it, it feels like we'll we'll almost go through another GDPR scenario, isn't it? Like you know, there was a there was a big hit you know in the industry where it was suddenly like, wow, our data is being used in ways we have no idea. Now you've got Web three and you've got AI coming into the situation. It feels like
1: it's going to be another sweep of of that, that scenario, doesn't it? it? It could be, although I think the only Europe, the EU, actually has a proposed regulation already drafted around AI, and it's very pro AI. Uh, you know, there's sort of like they have like a red level, an orange level, and a yellow level, right? Like high risk, medium risk, low risk, and it's sort of like the no zone is the government doing like china style like social scoring of individuals based on ai algorithms they're like we we were, are not going to allow that we're not going to allow ai to grade our citizens that's a no uh the the like the medium level is uh you know tools that are making employment type decisions right scanning resumes and using AI to determine who's a worthy person and not a worthy person. Those are saying we have to be really careful with that and have some regulations around it. The green level is kind of everything else that doesn't fall into those categories. Um, and so and, and, and I, I think that to me, it's, it's ultimately a, a really important policy question that everyone in society needs to be asking themselves. And, and I always get as a copyright lawyer, I'm driven by uh, the copyright's mandate. And it's in the Constitution, which is progress to promote progress of science and the arts. and And the question is what's ultimately going to be good and best for society when we when we're building laws around this, what's going to ultimately create the most works? And you know, for the most part, I'm in favor of allowing these AI tools to learn and and do the learning because I think it ultimately they're very, very useful for people,
0: oh, 100%. I I yeah, we we're doing a lot in AI ourselves. and and our prime focus right now is uh, as a support uh, system. You know, yeah. we're using we're using editing tools for this show, uh, script writing. Um, you know, all of the above, and actually, it's it's making our teams' lives a lot easier, so that they can focus on the more creative side of their role, rather than the administrative side. That's that's the first level for us. That's really kind of nice and exciting. We're just about to embark on, you know, a journey of exactly like you said is how does how can we use it in the world of creativity um to add to our creative abilities and also make, you know, we're we're certainly being challenged over the last couple of years financially, um, with regards to, you know, how much resource a business has within their within their structure um and all of that. So yeah, we're gonna be using yeah, we're going to be investigating those.
1: But again, it's one of the reasons I'm talking to you quite a bit.
0: Yeah, well, look, sure that we go on the right journey.
1: One of the, look, my biggest unanswered question from an, again, I'm an intellectual property lawyer, so I look through things through that lens. For, for me, as an IP lawyer, the output question is, is totally unanswered. And what do I mean by that? If you're using generative AI tools to create content for your clients, for your own marketing purposes, et cetera. Can someone else go and copy and use exactly what you just put out into the world, right? If you create an image that you like for a campaign or that becomes a logo for a business or becomes a character in a story, what kind of protection can you get around that? Should you be able to get protection around that? Um, right now, the the copyright office and the courts that have touched on this suggest that we're not going to extend Copyright type protection, at least in the US, around outputs that are coming from AI, generative AI tools. I don't know what the right answer is for that. Like if, if everyone is using these AI tools to, to aid them in their process, what is the right balance in terms of protecting that output? Right? Like should people be able to claim proprietary rights over the, the, the outputs of their – when they, they do a simple prompt and it outputs something, like who gets to own that? Right? And that's that's a really good question. And, you know, it it doesn't make sense that a computer can own it. Um, but some people argue that they should be able to own it. Like the AI should have its own standing to own something. i'm I, I'm skeptical of that. Um, and so i I really don't know what the answer is there. I, I don't know yeah. that it's that important right now. i think I think the the better thing is what you said, which is that right now, I think everyone would be very well advised to, to learn how to use these tools to help them in their everyday life at work and at home uh, because they're very powerful and they're actually very simple to use. And I've already started using it in my own practice. Yeah,
0: Jeremy, you just answered my last vital question um, because that's, that's exactly my feeling. And, and what we preach as an agency is we we're a creative innovation agency and we're using technology to enhance what we do. And it's making my teams lives easier and gets them to work on the more exciting things and it is also just a really exciting kind of journey to go across it um jeremy it's been fantastic i've 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 hinted that i want to get you back i think i don't have any choice but to get you back now because uh you you've started an interesting story uh of how exciting 2023 is going to be um what Final bit of advice, then. What what would you say? You know, because people people right now, this is what we're trying to, you know, people are battling down the hatches. They're like, you know, Web three's burnt. You know, social media is going through a change. I AI is going to impact all of our lives. How how do we navigate the next six months, twelve months? It's just it's a journey.
1: Look, fortunately for. I, I'm just a lawyer. I'm gonna play like I'm just a cave, you know, I'm just a caveman, a simple lawyer, right? Like i I, I, I don't know the answer to that. I, I would say that you know my my personal opinion uh, is that in any market it's always and I, and I, you know it's always about the content, right? It never it, it, like whatever medium you're working on, whatever the technology is, uh, if you have content that people want to consume, you're gonna you're that's your key to success. Uh, And the, you know, the the keeping abreast of the technology is useful because you might be able to create richer content or have a better vehicle to exploit it. Um, And so, you know, I I think my advice is to not write off any of these technologies in any way, shape or form, uh, but to remain, you know, wide enough and and not just pivot, but just remain open enough and curious enough and have the humility to say, I don't know what's where things are going to go and just be ready to go in in all the different directions at once. Um, you know, everything, everywhere, all at once. Um, is It's, to me, the way you have to be in this rapidly changing world.
0: And uh, and I'll do a little plug for you anyway, because um, we're doing it. It's uh, always potentially budget for some time to sense check everything you're doing through a good law, but...
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh, thank you, Mike. I appreciate it that.
0: Uh, well, you know, I, I think that's... I. I... It's decided only for our own good, isn't it? is we yeah, you, know, you and I are firm believers in everything that we've talked about. There is a benefit um, uh, for the future of any sort of business, uh, whether it's entertainment or marketing. you know, these are exciting technologies that are going to deliver far better connections with the audiences and communities we're trying to create. but you've got to do it for the right reasons, and you've also got to realize that there is a law there to protect us and it is catching up. So it's better to be kind of alongside it than, you know, for it to eventually come knocking on your door, isn't it?
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I think, look, a a quick, a quick consultation with with an attorney can save you a lot of headache and trouble down the line is is the bottom line. It's just like buying insurance, you know? So, you know, I've, I've been on both ends of the spectrum. I I do, I'm sort of, I'm pretty much a jack of all trades at this point in terms of, providing counsel to companies so I'm there when they try to get you know counsel when they're building a product and then I'm I'm there when a claim comes in because somebody made a mistake or somebody's wrongly accusing them um but it's much easier to um advise people up front and to give some you know simple advice to keep people safe or at least they know going with their eyes wide open um with the with what risks they might be getting into brilliant well look
0: uh, Jeremy it's been an absolute pleasure um uh, every time we've spoken uh, I've uh, I've walked out of it excited and uh, and with a little bit more knowledge that to guide me through this this ever-changing world. Thank you very much. I um, hope you've enjoyed it as well. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Excellent. All right. Goodbye. Bye-bye. So that's another complete show. I hope you are finding these discussions as insightful as I am. If you are, then please share your excitement. Tell your friends and associates to join us for the next one. See you soon.